listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. We're going to go into a scripture reading for today. We're going to be in, uh, we're continuing our series in uh, 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to be in chapter 11, verse 23. If you could stand with me for the reading of God's word. And uh, when I'm done with the, uh, uh, the reading of the scripture, I will invite you, I will say, uh, this is the word of the Lord. And I'll invite you to say, thanks be to God. This is what the Bible says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, brother. Wonderful. Good morning, y'all. How are you guys doing? Um, if I didn't get a chance to meet you, oh, this is awesome decoration. Sorry, I'm gonna make sure it's highlighted. Alexis does an amazing job making this place look beautiful. Um, my name is Samir. If I had a chance to meet you, I've had the joy of being one of your pastors. Uh, I just want to first, before we get rolling in our sermon series, I want to take a moment to just celebrate last week a little bit. Um, last week was a joy. If you were with us, um, I don't know if there's some pictures we have from last week, but it was an absolute joy. Friday we had... Um, our Good Friday service, and it was such a powerful service uh, and well attended. And on Saturday, we had close to 300 people from the community and around LA join us uh, on campus. And so, and then, um, and Easter Sunday was the highest attended service we've ever had so far in our short existence as a church here. So it's been an absolute joy to celebrate our first Easter this last week with you guys. And I just want to highlight our, our volunteers and our staff and thank them and just give them a hand and just praise God for what God is doing. So let's give them a hand, our directors, our ADs, our coaches, our leaders. Um, God was exalted. Jesus was highlighted. Um, and it's just been so fun to be a part of God's work here at Story City Church. And uh, thank you, Shannon, for the pictures. And just, man, I, I always throw curveballs at him and he's always on top of it. This was not expected yesterday. I just told him this morning and he just put some pictures up for us. So thank you, man. You're, you're killing it. So we have an awesome team, and I'm just so grateful for them all. Um, the, the ups and downs, the highlights, right, of ministry, like last week, are, are just 
amazing. And uh, I don't know about you, but I go through sometimes through ups and downs spiritually as well, right? So like last week's one of the highs. This week was a little hard for me, but it's still, you know, ups and downs of life happen. And so if you thought that pastors are immune to the ups and downs of, of life, you have been mistaken. So sorry about that. But it's because of just how amazing God moved last week. And, and just this week, I was just like, man, that was amazing. You know, I'm just so, and I'm good, but I'm just like, the joys and ups and downs of, of life are amazing. So last week, the last two weeks, we took a pause from 1 Corinthians um, because of Easter week and Holy Week and all the amazing stuff God was doing. And now we're going to go jump back into 1 Corinthians. Um, and we're actually going to be preaching and talking about communion. What is communion? That's the passage that we're on today. That's the passage that we are in as we've walked through 1 Corinthians where we've noticed the Corinthian people are newly churched, newly saved, and they're kind of living in some chaos and some confusion, and Paul addresses them uh, and helps them understand things, and we see communion come up as an issue because they're not respecting and honoring and understanding what it really means. And so I hope today we can grasp that and that we align our hearts uh, towards God's desire for what communion is. And so before I jump into it, I want to pray for us and we'll dive in. God, we are overjoyed with what you are doing amongst us and that you are drawing near to us always, that, that the ups and the downs, Lord, the, the hardships, Lord, just like Izzy read in the worship, call to worship, Lord, the, the comfort that you bring to us in our highs and in our lows, that you are always steady, you are always consistent, you are always faithful, um, Lord, and we are amazed and grateful that you are who you are and what you've done, what you've done, Lord, so that we can live a life confident in knowing that we are eternally satisfied, that we are eternally affirmed because of what you have done on the cross, Jesus. And as we go into what it means, what communion means, what, what, what it grasps, what we understand from it, um, and why we partake in it weekly, uh, I pray that you give us a heart and a desire to be with you and to be near to you um, and to eat your body and drink your blood, what, that beauty of what that means, Lord, um, even though it sounds crazy sometimes. Uh, we thank you that you are who you are and that we get to be your children. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I want to give us, just kick off our time first off by giving a little history and a little foundation of what communion is, where it comes from, and, and what it means, all right? So the, the way we're going to do that is we're going to go to the first moment of what I call the last Passover meal and the first supper with the Lord, all right? And so it's kind of a two-in-one, and that's in Luke 22, 14 through 18. I want to read that real quick and see what's happening in this scene, right? This is the night before Jesus dies, the night before he goes uh, on the cross, and he's giving a description of what's happening in this moment with his disciples, right? The Last Supper. We all kind of know the generalities of this, but what's actually going on? So 14 through 18 in Luke 22 says this, when the hour came, he reclined at the table. Imagine that, right? Like you're about to die on a cross and you're chilling, reclining. Like I, just Jesus was was different. And the apostles with, were with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus is having a meal with his apostles, the disciples. This is not just the meal of the Last Supper as we know it now, right? This is actually an annual tradition that the, the Jews did every single year. So this is a common practice. This is not new to them. This is not the new uh, supper that, that we now know it as today. So they have something that they call a Passover meal every year. So what's the Passover meal? Uh, The biblical Passover Cedar Festival meal was celebrated every year by Jews to commemorate the mercy of God sparing them from the plague of death of the firstborn son in Egypt. So if you know that story, right, where the Egyptians were ruling and overtaking the Jews at that time, and there was a time where they commanded that the firstborn boy would be killed uh, in every household, every Jewish household. And uh, this was a big deal, right? And so they were like, God spared them in this way. So how they celebrated this was by this meal that reminded them of these elements, of what happened, right? There are seven total elements within this meal. Six of them are food items and one of them was wine. So you can imagine that how we partake of it now is a little different. They all represented something, they all represented something different. For example, one of those elements was what they call the zoroa, which is a lamb shank bone that represents the sacrificed lamb. All right. So the Passover sacrifice, also known as, okay, I'm trying to pronounce it, the Paschal lamb or the Passover lamb is the sacrifice that the Torah mandates the Israelites to ritually slaughter on the, on the evening of the Passover and eat it on the night of the holiday. All right. This is, this is an interesting reality, right? They're, they're partaking in this meal that's representing something for the Israelites. But Jesus here is actually foreshadowing a fulfillment that has to come. And he's saying, I want you to partake in it with me. So what is that foreshadowing fulfillment? We see that the Passover is the celebration, right? It's a celebration of God sparing them from slavery and death of their firstborn sons. But God himself, the father, does not spare his only begotten son for the sake of freeing all humanity from slavery of sin and death. That's what's happening in that moment, right? It's a, it's a looking at the past, but it's looking in the future and it's looking at the present all at once. And Jesus is saying, partake in this with me. They didn't fully get it at the time, but this is as we know it now, look back and realize, whoa, this is a powerful moment. God redeemed Israel from slavery and the death of the sons in Egypt, right? God will redeem mankind from the slavery and death of sin through the death of Jesus on the cross. This is the final and perfect Passover lamb. Jesus himself, as they were having the meal, he was present as they ate the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. He is the actual final sacrifice as he's eating with them. So as you can see, this is a, this is a moment of foreshadowing fulfillment 
and also a, par- a, par- a participation that he's asking his people, his, his, his disciples, to take with him. This participation, Jesus invites his disciples to partake with him, to remember him as he eats with them. It's a moment. It's an invitation to partake, to believe, to receive, to embrace the body and blood of the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus. And so our big idea for today is that communion is our participation in redemption. Communion is our participation in redemption. What's redemption? See, redemption is the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. Redemption is the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil so that we now are participants in receiving that redemption as we partake in communion. So to partake in redemption by the way of communion, we must grasp three truths, three truths that we must grasp as we take communion. As you guys can imagine, like we take communion every week, we're going to take communion later today together. But these are the three truths that I think we need to grasp in order to partake in communion as God's people. The first one is that we need redemption. We need to believe this truth that we need redemption. First Corinthians, so we're going to read the entire section of what Jonathan read for us, but we're going to go back a little bit into verse 17 first and see what's going on. What's the scene happening? The Corinthians continue to display this trend of selfishness throughout the whole book, right, that we're noticing, this whole letter, and it's continuing to happen in this scenario as they're taking and partaking in communion, and they're almost celebrating it the way they're taking it. And this is Paul's response to them as we read in 17 through 22. It says this. Now in the giving, I'm sorry, now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. He's like, y'all screwing up right here. Verse 18, for to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you and in part I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be fractions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. It's like, what are you doing? That's not how it's supposed to work. So one person is hungry while another one gets drunk? Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. So the Corinthians are selfish, they're divisive, uh, they're gathering in this time where they're supposed to remember what we just explained was happening at the Lord's Supper, right, this, this, this Passover meal, but they're celebrating what Jesus done on the cross and the sacrifice that he gave, that he became the last true Passover lamb, and they're coming The rich are coming and they're bringing their lavish food and their great drink and they're eating within themselves and they're getting full and they're drinking so much that they even get to the point of getting drunk. And they're saying, we're celebrating the, the Last Supper. We're celebrating the Lord's meal. We're celebrating communion and they're doing it that way. 
And at the very same time, the poor, they don't have anything, right? They, they don't come with much of anything, and they're wanting to partake as well, but they're remaining hungry. The, they're not sharing amongst their people. There's division happening, and also there is a lack of understanding of what communion is. It almost became a show or something competitive on, on showing who has more. The, this competition is the complete opposite of the heart behind communion and why Jesus did what he did. The selfishness and the division in the church are clear symptoms of the broken heart and of sin. You see, this isn't something that we are immune to. I know we look at those stories, we look at the Corinthian church like, man, they're crazy. Like, we'll never be like that. Right? Like, but the reality is that this, this sort of selfishness and division is possible amongst us if we do not recognize our own brokenness and the fact that we need redemption daily. That we can easily be prone to this type of division. We can easily be prone to compete. We can easily be prone to, to partake in things that we can enjoy, which are good, but to use it for selfish gain instead of celebrating and recognizing and exalting King Jesus rather than ourselves. They are bragging on themselves for taking communion this way because they have plenty while the poor among them starve. Paul is saying, don't you have homes that you can do that? He's not saying don't eat and drink and enjoy what you have. He's saying if you have that, great, do it at home. Like this is a time to partake together in unity and to remember what the Lord has done for us. This is what communion is. He's helping them understand that. He's like, you're humiliating those who don't have much. How dare you do that? How could you do that? And so the posture of their hearts was selfish. And so what is the posture of our hearts that Paul is saying and even Jesus is saying that we are to come to communion in? What is that? I want to look at what it looks like, what, what the posture of our hearts should look like going into communion. The Gospel of John, before Jesus goes and takes the Passover meal with his disciples, he sets a table, before he sets the table literally, physically to partake in Passover, he sets the table of what it means to have a heart postured before God. What does he do in John? He actually goes and washes his disciples' feet right before they go and eat the last meal together. I want to read that really quickly. This is the heart that we are to have. In John 13, I kind of just skip one, and then let's go four, five, 12 through 15, because I want to give us the picture. I don't want to read the whole thing. Before the Passover festival, right before, right before they go and take this meal, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse four, so he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around him. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to try them, I'm sorry, and to dry them when the towel tied around him. Verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. It, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. 
So the question is, do we wash each other's feet today? No, clearly. It's a little different in that culture than it is now, but it's the posture of the heart that Jesus is saying as we come to the Lord's table, come to serve, come to care, come to give one another's needs to one another and to show a sacrificial understanding of our hearts before the Lord and before one another. The posture of our hearts is in communion, are to reflect, that is, of Jesus, his redemptive love and sacrifice for us. This is what Paul is addressing. He's saying, you're doing all this for yourself. That is the complete opposite of what Jesus said to do and how to do it. We are to come with a heart postured of love and redemptive understanding of what Jesus has done. So our second truth that we should grasp when we are partaking in communion is that communion embodies redemption. Communion embodies redemption. I want to continue reading verse 23 to 26. It says, For I received from the Lord what also I passed to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat it, this bread, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul is giving a literal representation of what these elements mean, of what it means, right? This body and and blood that represent the bread and the juice, the wine, and how to participate in it. And I think the important thing to understand is that we don't just participate in it physically when it comes to how we eat it. We partake in it with all of our being, with all of ourself, right? We take partaking of it mentally, physically, and spiritually. So mentally, he's saying, remember. Like, don't just take the, the elements. He's saying to remember mentally, to remember what he has done, to remember the cross, to remember the death and the sacrifice, to remember your sin, to remember the fact that Jesus died for your sin, and that when we're partaking in these elements, it's to remind us of his sacrifice, it's to remind us that he is the last Passover. He is the last lamb that is to be sacrificed for all humanity, for those who believe, right? And so that's what he's telling them. Take this and mentally remember. And then he's saying physically, right? Simple action. Take it. Partake in it, which is to eat it and to, and to drink it. And as you're taking it, there's something that happens in your understanding. I don't know about you, but when you learn things, we learn in different avenues, right? We learn by, by, by hearing it. We learn by reading it. And some of us learn by actively doing it. And so this is that moment where he's like, partake in it so you can grasp it by doing it physically. And then the third one is spiritually. There's something happening spiritually there to believe, right? The partaking of these elements is not just a meal. It's not to just take elements. It's not just to take bread or juice. This is a spiritual proclamation in our own souls that we are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do. This is an actual proclamation when we take it. This is a spiritual act for the believer. Those that consider themselves Christians, followers of Jesus. It does not make sense 
for those that don't proclaim Jesus as their Lord or that believe that he did what he did on the cross for them to take this meal. It doesn't make sense, right? It's just a burden that's not for them to bear. This is actually a meal for the believer, for the believer, only. It's weird to say in that scenario when we go and partake in communion to say, hey, actually, those of you that are not sure yet or you don't believe, some might think that seems harsh, but I actually feel like it's a freeing like thing, right? Say, hey, don't feel obligated. This is not for you that you are not sure yet. You're still questions. You still, have under, still don't have understanding of who Jesus is. That's okay. This meal is for the believer to remember what Jesus has done for them. I love what Jesus, how Jesus describes um, what communion truly is when he talks about this. Before he even goes to the cross, he's talking to the Pharisees and he's giving them these descriptions and he's probably driving them crazy, right? I wanna read it really quickly because I think it really represents well for those that are believers what happens and, and what we're partaking in. In John 6, 52 to 58, it says, at that, Jesus, Jew, uh, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his own flesh to eat? I mean, that's a great question. Right, we, we bag on the, on the Pharisees sometimes, but that is, that is a genuine, real good question. Like, what is he talking about? Like, why is he giving us his flesh to eat? I mean, this is crazy. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourself. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on, on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. So he's connecting the dots for them for right here because he, he knew they were like hecka confused. <laughs> what are you saying? You sound crazy. And then he says this in verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. They remember that moment uh, when, they, when they celebrated Passover, right? When they went through because uh, they were saved out of the slavery of Egypt. They were walking in the wilderness for 40 years and, Jesus, and, and God the Father would throw down manna from heaven so they can have food to eat. This is, the re- this is a reflection of that moment. He's like, I am that bread from heaven. This is the bread that came down from heaven. I am the life of bread that sustains you throughout those 40 years. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, though. It's not like that kind of manna. And they died. The one who eats this bread, his bread, him, will live forever. Will live forever. He connected the dots for them a little bit and pointed them to the Passover celebration because he knew that what he was saying was wild. But he did it intentionally. And he's pointing to what we now partake in every week. We take communion every week, the act of communion. We're eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. That's the visual here. It is the outward proclamation of what's happening within that person and what happened to Jesus on the cross and the outcome that they will have eternal life. They will have redemption when you do this in remembrance of him.
You see, this is the participation that we have with Jesus in the redemption plan of our souls and for all who believe. You see, the act of partaking doesn't save us. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying if you take a bread and you drink the juice, if you just drink and eat, that you will be saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what I'm saying. Because it is by grace through faith only that we are saved. For those who believe in what Jesus has done for us. But this is the partaking. It is the embodying of our faith in action as we partake in the bread and the juice. This is a huge deal. This is an enormous deal. This is not something that we just take flippantly. It's not something that we just do because it's something we should do every week. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a Catholic environment and we took it every week and I just went up and I didn't really know what it meant. But Paul here is like, wait a minute. Like this is a big deal. This is not just for anybody to take. And this is not just any way we can take it. It matters. And the third truth is that how we, particip- how we participate in communion matters. How we partake in it matters. It's a big deal. I want to read 27 through 32 as Paul continues his exclamation, as his, his teaching on this. 27 through 32 says this. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we, properly, if we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Guys, this is, a, this is serious stuff. This is a big deal, as Paul is exclaiming here. This is not just, uh, you know, eat and drink and be merry. This is like a, a big deal for him. See, when we don't examine our hearts and we take communion without a deep sense of awe and reverence, then we actually are placing judgment on ourselves. That's what Paul is saying here. What does that mean? It's, it can be easy to partake in it flippantly because we do it every week. So I want to encourage us that this is what we call a sacrament. This is sacred. This is a moment where Jesus is doing this and he's asking us to do it along with him in remembrance of him and it's a sacred moment. It's a spiritual moment. And he's saying that if we don't do this well, that there'll be judgment on you. I just want to make sure that there's clarity here. He's not saying that you will be judged to hell or that you will have a salvific issue here. That means that you will have a concern of your salvation if you don't take it correctly. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is a physical, worldly judgment. So that Paul is saying that when these Corinthians are flippantly taking communion and are almost like mocking it, God is taking offense and is disciplining them here. It's a sense of discipline, not uh, taking them into a place of hell or, sal- or, or salvific issues. It's not, it's not that at all. 
But he's bringing illness and even death so that, it says, so that they won't be condemned with the world. So that they won't be seen as non-believers and be judged like a non-believer. This is actually an act of mercy when this is happening, which is crazy to think. And I want us to understand that this isn't something that God will do now, right? This is not, I mean, I can't say what God will or won't do, right? He can do whatever he wants. But in the early stages of this, he's helping set the table and set the understanding of how important this is, especially if it's done in a mocking way, especially if it's done in a way that is flippant and, and, and unknowing that God allowed this to happen to the extreme it came, where people were getting sick because they were not taking it well. It was a lesson, it was an example to the church of how big of a deal it is, of how big of a deal it is and how we participate in communion and that it matters, it matters. So how do we examine ourselves in a worthy manner? What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do that well? I think we, we talked a little bit already about being mentally aware, right? Understanding and remembering Jesus mentally, spiritually believing in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and we're doing it with the understanding of what he has done. We're taking and partaking in it that way and then we partake in it physically. But there's a deeper sense of self-examination here too. There's a self-examination of the heart. Self-examination of the heart. The questions that I want to ask you that maybe we can ask ourselves as we are partaking in communion are am I seeing and believing Jesus for who he truly is, which is what he's done on the cross? Asking ourselves that question. Am I seeing Jesus and believing in Jesus for who he truly is? Second question, am I seeing who I truly am in light of who Jesus is? Am I seeing who I truly am in light of who Jesus is? Do I see myself as the child of God that was given this gift of salvation because of the sacrifice of Jesus? Right? I'm not partaking in it because I'm trying to earn my salvation. I'm partaking in it because I am a child of God and I see myself through the eyes of Jesus and what he's done for me. This is a self-examination of the heart. Third, are, are there any fractions or divisions or, or any sin that I need to confess or bring into a place of restoration before I partake in communion? And I don't know what that looks like for you or where you are, right? Every person is to do that with themselves, right? To, to do that self-hard work, the, 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 the hard work of the heart and the soul. Where am I? And it's okay if you're in a bad spot or you feel like, man, I don't know if I can take communion right now because I don't want to take it in a way that is flippant or is in a way that's not really resembling the heart of what it means. And, then, and this abstaining from it is totally fine. Again, it's not a salvic, salvific issue. It's not about salvation. It's a remembrance, and it's an exalt, exaltation of who he is. I want to read this quote really quickly by David Benner, uh, a book that I recommend, The Gift of Being Yourself. Uh, it's really good. He says this in light of the reflection of our heart, the reflection of our soul. Some Christians base their identity on being a sinner. I think they have it wrong or at least only half right. You are not simply a sinner, you are a deeply loved sinner. 
and there is all the difference in the world between the two. Sin is a, I don't even want to say this word, colliery to our primary status as greatly loved children of God. First, we were loved into being, created in the good and sinless image of our creator God. And although sin damaged that, which had been utterly good, it allowed us to discover that God's love is directed toward us just as we are, as sinners. The sequence is important, that we must never confuse the secondary fact with the primary truths, that we are sinners, but that we are loved by God as we reflect in our heart and in our soul. This is only possible because of the cross, because of what Jesus did, because of the death he took. He redeemed and bought us so that we can partake and remember in this moment. See, in a moment, we will take communion together and take the time to respond and self-examine our own heart. Mentally, spiritually, physically, and the heart. Do the hard work of the soul and the heart as we partake. I want to close with this. Towards the end of this section, Paul says this in verse 33. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. They started off in division. They started off doing it on their own. They started off eating and drinking and and, and separating themselves. And Paul is saying, stop doing that. Take it together. It's a form of unity. Come union. It's a union that we come to. And that's union that unites us is Christ himself. So therefore, let us come to one another now in unity as we love the diversity that God has brought to us here as we partake in the Lord's table together. Let us recognize our need for redemption and that when we partake, that we're partaking in the resemblance of redemption in the, on the table of communion. It's a moment of remembering, redeeming, reflecting, and rejoicing of what he's done. Communion is our participation in redemption. And so I want to pray for us, and then I want to dismiss you guys to go and take, get your elements and come back to your seats. We're going to partake in it together. Um, And as you're going to go uh, to to pick up your elements, I want you to reflect, begin to reflect what we are doing, that we are going to the table. We are actually sitting, I want us to envision ourselves sitting at the Last Supper with Jesus as one of the disciples. And he's saying these words, but we actually have better news than the disciples did because they didn't understand it all. And we now do, by God's grace, that we can grasp it as he's giving us these instructions. So let me pray for us, and then you can be dismissed to pick up the elements. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we can partake in these elements in communion, in this meal, every single week. And that we can recognize and that your word gives us clarity on what it means, what it's for, and how serious it is. That it's sacred. That it's a holy moment. That it's a moment that is happening in the cosmos, in the spiritual world. That that you are present with us as, as we partake in communion. We are remembering you, Jesus as we partake, but we're also reflecting in our own soul, we're also reflecting in our own mind, in our own heart, as we eat and drink of this cup. God, as we partake in it, may we 
reflect, may we think, may we remember, may you bring remembrance to our hearts and to our minds of maybe things that we are to, to consider, that we are to maybe even say, Lord, I've been falling short of really even loving you well. Or maybe, I, maybe I've been taking it and I didn't even know if I was really a believer. But now I really want to commit to my faith in you, Jesus. And that you partake in it that way. God, I just want to take this moment as we go take the elements and we come back to our seats that we'll have a moment to pause, a moment to consider, a moment to reflect. May we do that well. May we do that in a worthy manner. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.